one of the things that we are finding is that we're not too far removed from these scriptures in our modern day. Even though we have technology, even though we have all these things that connect us together, we're still very much connected. And I trust that you who have been listening now for 19 times, 18 times, as we've delved into the book of Hebrews, do you feel some connection with what the early Christian church was grappling with? The reality that their world was changing, internally they were also changing. In fact, as we've said, that probably the book of Hebrews was written about 65 A.D., or maybe even 70 A.D., just prior to the destruction of the temple, which would call for the end of animal sacrifices as they knew it. As Jewish, Hebrew Christians, they were still very much attached to animal sacrifice. The Savior had come. They had recognized him. They knew that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again, and then he ascended to the Father. I mean, that is an incredible amount of change in those Christians' lives that really, with what we've got going on in our world, yes, it's impacted us, but we really haven't had to immediately grapple with it. It's come much slower to us. The Internet. When did that start? That was just yesterday. (laughs) I guess it has come upon us. But it snuck in so easily that we have become just, how many have got their cell phones on right now? Turn them off. (laughs) No, we we have been so connected. And the church, the church, which was just beginning, was being impacted by their world. And they survived. What is amazing is that that church survived in the world changing so rapidly around them. Why? Because they had a Savior. And he was living. He was resurrected. He was powerful. He had come, sent by the Creator, Father God, to redeem a people to himself. And that's what we've been talking about these weeks as we've gone through Hebrews. This is really at the heart of Christianity, this book. And the book of Hebrews lay still in the church for several hundred years before it became part of this book. That's incredible. But the insights that the book of Hebrews had on the church, I think, stabilized it through that time of things just coming apart. And so by the fact that we're studying Hebrews, I think this will stabilize us. And I see it (coughs) happening in your lives. 
I hear it by what you're saying as feedback of what this teaching is doing for us. We're looking to Jesus. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the runner ahead of us. And that's what Hebrews sets our sights to look at him. Today is talking about, in Hebrews chapter 10, the shadow and the reality. Now, when I was thinking about shadow and reality, you have to know where the light is to find the shadow, right? And when you are, say, walking, it would be east, you're walking east, and the sun is going down in the west, I've seen my shadow as much as maybe 10 times my height out there in front of me. But the sun is behind me, and I'm going in that direction in order to be able to see the shadow. Now, I'm not trying to trick you or get your mind turned around the other way, but where does the shadow come from? You'd think when God said, let there be light, that's where the shadow would be. But that's not true. The shadow comes by he being the eternal God, and he is light. And when that shadow comes, it's filtered through the plan that God has for Jesus Christ in reality. So we have God here, always in the heavens, eternal. And his plan is for Jesus Christ to come. And Jesus Christ and the cross cast a shadow back to who? Adam and Eve. And the Japanese people latched onto that and they created, I guess it was the Chinese, they created the kanji of the lamb over me from Genesis 3. Amazing. But that was the shadow. Okay, do you have your minds going the right direction now? Do you understand? No, you don't. Okay. You know, my mind is so amazing, I can't believe it. But <laughs> please try to think that way. And if I'm wrong, turn me around, okay? Because that's the way I look at it. That God is eternal. He's always been light. And the cross casts the shadow back to those in the Old Testament. And that is what they were practicing all the way up until Jesus Christ came, was risen, and ascended. And then was reality. But reality has always been here as well in the promises that God has given us. And people like Abraham... They trusted, and we'll be getting to that in the next chapter. They trusted in that which was told that they could not see, that did not have substance to it. They trusted in that, that that was reality. And so that's what we're grappling with here. Let's think about that now as we read these scriptures. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually 
year by year, and we can say year by year by year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. In other words, when they killed that animal, I don't remember any sin that I ever committed. It was done in that animal. No. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year by year by year by year. That's not written all those years in there. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Who's speaking here? We'll move on. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Who is speaking those words? After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, the shadow, to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once, once for all people. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time, and we can say time after time after time after time, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. Open our minds, our hearts. Help us to understand what the Spirit would be saying to the churches and to this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Start with an introduction. We'll go on to the shadow and then to the will. We're back to talking about the will again. 
You all remember those two messages that we talked about? The reality and then concluding with communion. I'm indebted to my internet pastor. I have an internet pastor. I've never met him personally. He and I have exchanged email. I connect with him through Bible.org. And I think I've advertised that site before as being a great site for if you want to find out about a message or some insight in some scripture, that's a good site to go to. Bible.org. Very simple. Anyway, Stephen J. Cole is a pastor in the United States. And in his message on this chapter, he listed 10 references that were very similar but different. It was a list. And so as I've been looking at that for the last week or so, that list that he had, and in this chapter, I thought, well, we've got the shadow, we have the reality. And so I put them into a chart. And I haven't sent them to Pastor Stephen yet. Maybe I will, and he might say, oh, no, Ron, that's, no, that's not what I meant. But that's okay. This, that's what I mean here. So I've got this in a chart. So we have on the dark side, the sacrifices of the law could never make perfect those who draw near. And the reality, by God's will, through the cross, we have been sanctified once for all. Verse 2, those sacrifices could not completely cleanse the worshipers and remove their consciousness of sin. The reality is Christ offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. The shadow, those sacrifices provided a yearly reminder of sins. The reality in verse 14, by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And in verse 4, shadow, those sacrifices could not take away sins. But on the contrary, the reality in verse 17, God promises to remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. And then a combined statement that we will celebrate during our communion. Where there is forgiveness, there is no longer offering for sin. You know, the amazing thing about the scripture and even about Hebrews is that when you put all of these things together and compare them to the whole of scripture, it makes sense. If you take it just in looking at itself and maybe you like me when you were younger or maybe still do, you get stuck. This is my favorite verse. This is my favorite book. This is my favorite passage. But in fact, what the Lord wants us to do is this is my favorite book. And that this is where we get our reference. And it's not just from one verse. Oh, I believe in life verses. Don't get me wrong. I believe in those that you cannot get out of your spirit and your heart. Those are very, very important. But we also need to move on and to get into those scriptures that were in over our head and were like, ah, 
somebody throw me a life jacket or a life ring because I don't understand what this is all about. And, you know, getting back to technology, I'm going to say something that our visitor with us may take offense to. But you don't need a doctor of theology degree in order to understand God's word. Sorry, Dr. Ryan. (laughs) But the fact is, we have a teacher, every one of us who know Jesus Christ. He has given us a great teacher. And he's the one that worked in the old scribes and the writers of this book and is speaking to us now, the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. That's incongruous. That if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, and he comes and dwells in you. Every one of you who have confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is so wonderful. Ask your teacher. Keep asking your teacher, help me to understand this scripture. Help me to understand this word. You're speaking to me. Yes, it's good to check with uh, Pastor Stevens and other teachers. I always do. But you know, I make it a practice never to go and check them before I have searched it out myself. And that was what the humble Bible school that Katie and I graduated from taught us. In fact, this may blow your minds. At this school, you were not allowed into the library and check out reference books until you had finished your assignment and they had monitors to make sure that you obeyed that. That was an old, old old-fashioned school. And we didn't have the internet, so we couldn't cheat that way. (laughs) I mean, by the time I was third year, I thought, whoa, this is a strange school. (laughs) But at first, when I was an underclassman, I thought, you know, this is natural. But then after I was got into these things, why do they hinder us from going here and studying these other books? Because... They wanted you to study this book. And I am so thankful for that school and for the rules that they had. Anyway, the shadow. Repetitive sacrifices can never make anyone perfect. The advantage that we have as Christians right now is that we are perfect. But I'm a sinner. But of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are perfect. You stand in his righteousness. Repetitive sacrifices can never make anyone perfect. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which we offer continually year by year, Make perfect those who draw near. Do you know how revolutionary that was when the writer of Hebrews wrote that? 
He should have been crucified on the spot for making a statement like that. The Sadducees and Pharisees should have come right down to where he was writing these kind of things and saying, okay, off with his head. That's revolutionary, that statement in verse 1. Maybe that's the reason why the church just wasn't brave enough to put Hebrews into the canon. I don't know. But this is a revolutionary statement. Verse 2, there would be no consciousness of sin. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But you know what? Verse 3, but the sacrifices were an annual reminder of sins. And every time, year by year, as they brought that Passover lamb, and they had lived with it for and nurtured it in its growing up, but in their family for a week. It was taken in like a child. Remember we studied that in the Old Testament? That was the Passover lamb. And then they had to kill it, shed its blood. And year after year, sacrifices were an annual reminder of sins. In verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of animals to take away, remove, and absolve sins. Verse 4, saying basically, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's the shadow. And that's the effect. It did not take away sins. It could not. It was impossible. The will. And so the author of Hebrews takes a passage, and he does it several times repetitively, taking passages and then applying it for a truth and then using the same passage and applying it for another look at the truth. And that's what he's doing with this. In verse 5, a body you have prepared for me. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That's Jesus Christ speaking. But these scriptures were written before Jesus came into the world. And he lived out that prophetic reality. A body you have prepared for me. In verse 6, whole burnt offerings, there's no pleasure in them. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. God doesn't, he's not a gory God. He hates sin. But there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. That was the shadow of what was going to come in Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and said that he would do the Father's will. And then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And after saying, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, 
you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. And he, Jesus, takes away the first in order to establish the second. And so he comes then and offers his body doing the will. Not my will be done, but yours. And committed himself. That is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that statement, once for all, is over and over again in Hebrews. Once for all. Once for all. Once for all. And then finally, the reality. Every priest stands daily ministering. But he, it says, but he. And I haven't counted up the buts in Hebrews, but there's a lot of buts in Hebrews. And I have marked them with a big red circle around them. Look for the buts in Hebrews as you study it. Because he's going to make an emphatic statement following that. And in this one he does also in verse 12. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. He's quoted this before. And we've heard him say that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, the Father. That is where Jesus is now. That's where he's seated as victor, as completed for us all salvation. And in some ways, we have an advantage to the Christians before the cross, to the believers, even Abraham, before the cross. But not really, because remember, God is light, Jesus at the cross, and the shadow is cast back to Abraham and all the patriarchs living in that shadow, believing it, believing it, believing it, and carrying forth till the reality of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're living in today. Is that hard to grasp? To understand? And then scripture says that he was crucified before the foundation of the world. Amazing. Let's move. Verse 14, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And verse 15 to 17, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, This is the covenant that I will make with them. We had this a couple of weeks ago. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I don't know how this works, but God being God, when he says he can't remember, 
I think I've said this to you before. You might not remember your 10th birthday, but how could you forget? Can you just purposely forget something? Practice forgetting something. You can't do it. It's an impossibility. But you know, there is one that can forget, and he said it right here. I will not remember their sins anymore. So God can do anything. And those things that you and possibly evil spirits around you are saying, ooh, you're not that good. Remember you did this? Remember you did that? We can remember what we did that was wrong. Even when we were a little child. But God says, no. I don't remember that. Because once and for all, God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And we are free from the condemnation of that sin. This is the declaration that he has. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more.